The scripture upon which our sermon is based this morning is found in John chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. And the passage can be found on page 898 in your pew Bible. You can follow along in the bulletin as well as I read. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. Jesus said, leave her alone, so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Our gracious God, we ask now that the words of my mouth, the meditation and the thoughts of our hearts together would be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, not because of anything in us, any worthiness in us, but because of your very spirit in us. We also ask this morning that you would be true to your promise, your promise that when your word goes forth, it goes forth with your power, it goes forth with your presence, it goes forth with your grace, it goes forth with your love. And so we ask that for each and every person in this room, and those who are watching the live stream, that you would be present and powerful in the ways that we need it. We all come into this space from different backgrounds, with different states of mind and heart, but we have this in common. We need you. We need your grace. We need it at every moment. We need it now. Give it to us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning. It's good to be with you. My name is John Sweet, and if you're visiting... You've probably figured out by now I'm not Jason Harris. I'm not Chris Hildebrand, but I am a friend of Jason Harris and Chris Hildebrand. Uh, I'm not a resident of New York City, but I used to be a resident of New York City. I'm not a pastor here at Central, but I used to pastor in Brooklyn, and it's wonderful to be back. Uh, my wife and I and our family are in Austin, Texas now, but we took a journey to get there. We were uh, in Brooklyn for a few years, not married. I finally convinced her that that was a bad idea, better idea to get married. And so we did. We moved down to Florida for grad school, seminary, and then back to New York City where we lived, raised kids, and ministered for almost a decade uh, before we headed out to Northern California. Eight years out in Northern California, and then God, in his inexplicable wisdom, took us to Austin, Texas, and here we are, or I should say there we are, because now we're here, and so for us, this is a sort of homecoming. It's wonderful to be with you, and one thing that we can say without a shadow of a doubt is wherever we've gone, wherever we have been, we have encountered Jesus, truly and transformatively. Doesn't matter where, doesn't matter when, doesn't matter with whom. Jesus has encountered us. And this is actually the more 
uh, correct way to put it. It's not that we encounter Jesus, it's that Jesus encounters us. And perhaps you've had this experience. It shouldn't surprise you, it shouldn't surprise us that Jesus encounters us. This is what he does, it's who he is. We sang about it, we've read scriptures about it already, we've prayed about it, that Jesus left the throne room of the heavenly heavens, and he came down. Why? To encounter you for your salvation and for your very life. Our congregation in Austin, Grace and Peace Austin, has been going through a sermon series this spring in the Gospel of John, and we've uh, titled it Encounters with Jesus, because if you read the Gospel of John, you'll find on almost every single page, he is getting into somebody's business. He is encountering them, right? Whether it's his disciples or those who would become his disciples, whether it's the crowds of interested people who see the signs that he's doing and want to know more, whether it's the religious leaders who come to him at first with a sense of curiosity and very quickly with a sense of foreboding that shifts into a sense of antagonism, whether it's the strangers the hurting, the enemies, the wealthy, the poor, the Jewish people, the Roman people. It doesn't matter. You'll find on every single page that recounts to us the earthly ministry of Jesus, he is encountering people. And here's the deal. Every time he encounters somebody, he's looking for a response. Do you know this in your own life? This Sunday is Ascension Sunday in the church calendar. We celebrate the fact that when Jesus was raised from the grave, he ascended to the Father's right hand where he lives and reigns. King of kings and Lord of lords. If the King of kings and the Lord of lords encounters you, he's looking for a response. Now the response might be unbelief or disbelief. The response might be belief. John, the disciple of Jesus who wrote the gospel, says at the end of his gospel, Jesus did many, many things. If we tried to compile all the things that he did and put it in a library, it would fill up the library and more. He did more signs than these, but these I have written so that you might believe. And in believing that he is the Messiah, the Son of God, you might have life in his name. Friend, if you're here this morning and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, you don't yet know or believe that he is indeed the King of kings and the Lord of lords, that he is the one who is worthy of the devotion that Mary poured upon him in this moment, know this, his desire for you is to believe in him so that you might have life. You've been in a sermon series, I'm told, about the marks of a disciple. What is a disciple? A disciple is one who has been encountered by Jesus and responded in faith and belief to then follow him. And so here's where our two sermon series converge in the person of Mary. What does belief look like ultimately? Not just intellectual assent, not just head knowledge, but knowledge that moves from your head to your heart, transforms your heart into a life that is given over to devotion and service out of love. A disciple looks like Mary. A mark of a disciple is devotion. And we see it here in this passage. 
This is one of those beautifully told stories that invites you in. It's impossible to hear this story, to read this story, and not find yourself placing yourself in the story somewhere as one of these characters. Some of you may be more familiar with this story than others. John gives us some hints. He tells us that this dinner is happening after Jesus comes to Bethany where Lazarus is. Now, if you've read your way through the Gospel of John, you know that just the chapter before, we have the story of Jesus encountering Lazarus. That was quite the encounter, wasn't it? Lazarus is a friend of Jesus, as are his sisters Martha and Mary. Jesus comes to Bethany a few months prior to this dinner because Lazarus is sick and has died. And Jesus comes and he raises him from the grave. And it's one of those signs that John tells us about, one of these encounters with Jesus that John tells us about that people respond to. And we're told that more and more people are believing in him. Actually, we're told that they're believing into him. They're going all in with him. But not everybody. Some people are responding in the opposite way. They're recognizing that in their mind, this Jesus is a blasphemer and he has power, and he has influence, and the people are following him, and so he must be stopped. And so following that encounter with Lazarus, Jesus has to go underground in hiding. He goes off into a wilderness town until he knows that his time has come. That his time to show the world who he is and how he is going to bring life to a world that is marked by not just evil without, but sin within, might be reconciled to God and find life. He knows that it's his time, and so he comes back to Bethany. Why? Because Bethany is a couple miles away from Jerusalem. And so that's the setting of this scene. He's at dinner. It's six days before Jesus goes to the cross. Six days and two miles away from that act, that great act of self-giving, and when she, in which Jesus gives his very life for the sins of the world. We're not told exactly the state of Jesus' mind and emotions and heart, but we can imagine, as we read later in the Gospels, in which Jesus prays tears of agony to the Father as he contemplates what is ahead of him. We can imagine that he's feeling something of that at this dinner. And so here he is, amongst friends, He's reclining at table. You can imagine it. They would have been reclining with their heads and their arms toward the table, their feet away from the table. Lazarus is probably next to him, peppering him with questions about what it was like when Lazarus was in the grave because he can't remember, but then here he is. Martha, because this is who she is, is serving, and Mary, because this is who she is, is at the feet of Jesus. And in this moment, Mary invites us to consider whether we have this mark of discipleship that she does. That is devotion. What does believing into Jesus look like? A devotion and service that flows from a heart of love and gratitude. Where are you at this table? Perhaps you're on the outside looking in, wondering what this is all about. Somebody give me some more information. This is a great place for you to be. Perhaps you're at the table 
and you're busy like Martha is. That's okay. Perhaps you're at the table and you and your heart are asking the very same question that we can almost be certain everybody at that table other than Mary was asking. Judas expressed it. He expressed it from a heart of greed, but surely they were wondering the same thing. Mary, what are you doing? Because Mary takes a bottle of perfume, the most expensive of perfumes. We're told it was worth about a year's wages. She breaks it open and she pours it on his feet. She lets down her hair. Scandalous in that time and culture. She wipes his feet with her hair in the perfume, anointing him for his burial. Judas says what everybody's saying, what are you doing? Except Jesus. Jesus says, leave her alone. Leave her alone. We're told in Mark, Jesus says that what she has done is so beautiful that whenever the gospel is shared, Mary's story will be shared. What is Mary doing? She's doing what a disciple does. She's expressing her devotion. So friends, the question before us this morning is simply this. Are we Mary? If you're a follower of Jesus, this is the question that is presented to you. Are you Mary? Is your life characterized by this kind of devotion? So we want to do a couple things this morning. Let's look at the devotion of Mary as we ask that question. Are we Mary? What would it take for us to be more like Mary as we follow Jesus in this world, in this city, in your lives and with your families? And then secondly, because I think in order to answer that question well, we have to ask a further question, who is this Jesus? If we're going to give this Jesus our devotion, we have to know who he is. So, are you Mary? Do you know who this Jesus is? And then what might it look like practically to express such devotion? Uh, Kathy and I are always struggling to find movies or shows that all of our kids will watch with us and that everybody will enjoy. Actually, we don't care if everybody will enjoy it. We just want one show that all of our kids will sit down and watch together. We have now a 17, 15, and 13-year-old. Uh, and so we have found the show Abbott Elementary to be one of those. I don't know if you've seen the show yet. I think it's on ABC. It's really great because it's funny and it's also sincere. And we feel like at this time in our life and in this world, that's a great kind of a show to watch. In one of the episodes, Gregory is a substitute teacher, and he's struggling to enjoy being a substitute teacher. He's there as a way station until he can do something more important. And Janine is a teacher who's all in. And so she can't understand why Gregory doesn't just embrace this teaching thing that they're doing. And so there's this one particular scene in which she comes into Gregory's classroom, and he has a drawer full of pictures that all the kids had drawn. She's like, what are all these pictures? He said, I don't know. I don't know what any of them are. Can you help me? And so there's this funny scene of she knows how to interpret a kindergartner's picture. And, uh, and so she does that for him. And then she says, Gregory, do you realize that every single picture in this drawer, and there's a lot of them, they're all of you? And he said, well, yeah, kids like to draw. He said, no, 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 no. Kids don't just like to draw. Every single picture is about you. These kids are drawing you because... They like you because they appreciate you. 
in the language of our passage, right, these kids are drawing pictures for Gregory because it's their act of devotion. Because they recognize that Gregory is somebody important in their life. And they're responding accordingly. Mary is recognizing that Jesus is the person of importance in her life. And she responds accordingly. How does she respond? What does her devotion look like? And the first thing that we can say is that her devotion is humble. Right? Mary, in every passage in the Gospels that we find Mary, she's sitting at the feet of Jesus. I don't think that's an accident. She's placing herself at his feet. And so she's humble. What she's about in these moments is not her own life. She's about Jesus' life. And so we can say that Mary's act of devotion is also about service. And this may seem self-explanatory or obvious, but I think we ought to say it out loud. When we come to Jesus as his disciples to offer him devotion... It's about him and not us. It's a way for us to come and be of service to somebody other than ourselves. As you think about the interactions that you have in your ordinary, everyday lives with Jesus, whether it's here on a Sunday morning, or whether it's as the Apostle Paul encourages us to do, presenting our bodies and our lives as living sacrifices to him, wherever we go. As you think about your life as it's lived with and before Jesus, is your life with him mostly about you? And then the things that Jesus can add on and bring into that, or is your life mostly and primarily about him and what you can do for him as his followers? Mary calls us to consider, is our relationship with Jesus marked by this kind of humility and service? But we can say more. Mary's devotion to Jesus is perceptive. Right? Mary knew in a way that nobody else in that room did in some way what Jesus needed for her at this particular time in his life. We would say that Mary was dialed in. She was dialed in to Jesus. In your life with Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus, in your life together as a congregation, in your life as an individual, in your life with your families, in your life with your community groups? Are you exploring deeper and deeper and more deeply, I should say, who Jesus is? Are you more and more and more in tune with him as you consider who he's revealed himself to be in the scriptures? So that in the moment, at the appropriate times, when devotion is called for, you're ready. Because you've been paying attention. Mary's devotion is humble, it's perceptive, and it's timely. I just mentioned this. When the opportunity arose, Mary was ready. For her, this was a unique opportunity. There would never be another time in history for somebody to be able to anoint Jesus for his burial in the way that Mary did. And by God's grace and the Holy Spirit, she was ready, and she did it. Mary's devotion wasn't merely timely. It was risky as well, wasn't it? It was risky. Again, Judas surely wasn't the only one thinking, Mary, what are you doing? She risked her reputation. She let down her hair. She wasn't concerned with what others were thinking of her. 
She was only concerned about what she could do for Jesus in the moment to express her devotion and her service to him. Mary's devotion was humble and perceptive. It was timely. It was risky. It was extravagant. It was extravagant. We don't know where Mary got that kind of perfume. Maybe they were wealthy. Maybe it was a family heirloom. A year's worth of wages. Mary was tuned into Jesus giving us the greatest commandment. You remember what Jesus said when he was asked, what is the greatest of the commandments? And he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Mary in this moment is loving her God with her everything. That word that we translate strength, you can think of physical prowess or bodily strength, but it means more than that. It means literally muchness. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your muchness. Whatever you've got, love him with that. And Mary does. Finally, we can say that Mary's devotion is fruitful. The fragrance of the perfume filled the room. Her act of service intended what it was, what it, it accomplished what it was intended to accomplish. She anointed Jesus for the day of his burial. So again, for those of you in the room who are followers of Jesus, the question is put before you, is this a mark of your discipleship? Maybe we could back the question up even further. Do you desire that this would be a mark of your discipleship to Jesus? And I would say to help us answer that question, we have to ask a second, perhaps the more important question, which is this. Who is this Jesus, and is he worthy of such devotion? Who is this Jesus? Is he worthy of such devotion? Do you know him as such? Mary sat at his feet as his disciple, and she came to know him as the one worthy. In John's language, as the one who has come as the light of the world to bring life to the world. In the language of Ascension Sunday, as the King of kings and Lord of lords. The only one worthy of such devotion. Okay, a moment of levity for a moment. Break it up for you. If I said, everybody take 15 minutes, head out, go down to Fifth Avenue... Take a year's worth of your salary and find some perfume. Go find it, spend a year's worth of your salary, and then bring it back, and then everybody pour it on my feet. Because listen, you've never seen a guest preacher like me before. Right? You would say, one, Jason, please don't ever ask him back. And two, that's insane. Nobody would do that, and nobody should ask anybody to do that. What person in their right mind would say, I am so unbelievably amazing that you ought to spend a year's worth of your life and just pour it out on me? Nobody does that. Nobody should do that. Right? Unless, unless Jesus is who he says he is. Do you know Jesus 
as the King of kings and the Lord of lords? Do you know him the way that Mary knows him? Do you know that though he was very God of very gods, he came and he gave his life and service for you and for me? Do you know him as the one who came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many? Do you know him as Mary knows him? Remember the last time Mary saw Jesus, what was he doing? He was raising her brother from the grave. Do you think there's anything, 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 anything that Mary would not do for Jesus? And Mary perhaps doesn't know fully, but she has a hint that Jesus is not just one who has come to serve, that Jesus is not merely just one who has the power to raise her brother from the grave, but Jesus is the one who is going to his grave for the sins of the world. Verse 7 is tricky uh, in the original Greek grammar, but Jesus says, leave her alone so that she may keep this for the day of my burial. Maybe he means she can keep the rest of it. Uh, perhaps it could be translated that she had been keeping this for my day of burial. Uh, it can also be translated, it was intended that she would do this for my burial. And so we're given just a little crack into the mystery of the heart of God. That it was God the Father's intention that Jesus would leave this dinner and head into Jerusalem to give his life his very life, so that we might have life. That he would be enthroned as King of kings and Lord of lords upon a cross. And that in his death, he would accomplish everything that needs to be accomplished so that there would never again, there will never again, be poor who need to be fed. From the proceeds of perfume that's worth a year's wages. He's going to the cross to do everything that needs to be done so that one day not only might we live with God reconciled to him despite our sin through the forgiveness that Jesus bought for us, but we will also live in a world in which Uvalde tragedies will never happen again. Judas' question wasn't too far off the mark. It's a good question. With so much pain and hurt and tragedy in our world, is it appropriate to spend this much money on this action when there's so much that needs to be done? My friends, the only reason that Jesus can say absolutely it's appropriate is because the act that she is anointing him for is the act that will one day end all of that pain, all of that suffering, all of that sin. Do you know this Jesus? If you know this Jesus, then perhaps by God's grace, your heart might be tuned toward a similar devotion to Mary's. There's one thing that's missing in Mary's devotion. It's this, obligation. Right? There's no obligation here. Mary is giving her muchness because she loves him. She's giving her muchness because he's loved her so much. Right? Mary's devotion is not out of duty. It's not out of obligation. 
Mary's devotion is not out of a sense of, if I do this for Jesus, then perhaps the thing that he's going to do can be for me. There's no merit involved. There's no earning involved. There's no must involved. Mary is doing her act of devotion out of a full heart because of what Jesus has done for her. And so our friends, here's my encouragement. If your life as a follower of Jesus doesn't resemble Mary's to the degree that hers does, that's okay. Jesus loves you. He's calling you again into his presence to receive his grace and to respond. And what wins the day for you is the, not the sincerity of your devotion, but his grace which will call your devotion forth. And the promise is that as you enter into more and more, time and time again, the habits and rhythms and patterns of devotion, your heart will be tuned more and more and more into relationship with Jesus. And more and more and more and more. You will do it not because you have to, not because some pastor came from Texas and told you you should. Not because John's gospel tells you you should. But because what else would you do in response to the love that Jesus has poured out into your life? What might your devotion look like today? As I leave here and go back to Texas with Kathy, what might our devotion look like there? And friends, the sky is the limit. The sky is the limit. As I mentioned, this was, a, this was a one time only act of devotion that Mary did. This is not what yours will look like. Jesus is not bodily present for you to break open a bottle of perfume and pour it over his feet. And he has been raised once for all, and that doesn't have to happen again. But he's calling you to devotion. He's still at work in our lives. And so, what are the opportunities for you to express that kind of humble, perceptive, timely, risky, extravagant, and fruitful love and service to Jesus. And I'm going to cheat a little bit and say, that's your question to answer together. Right? If you're a friend or member of Central Presbyterian Church, this is what you do. When you get together in your discipleship groups, in your community groups, whatever you call them, when you have dinner with your family and you talk, ask the question together, what, what might our devotion look like? What could we do on our own? What we, could we do together? And I'll give you just one encouragement as a direction forward from this passage. It could, and it should at times, look like extravagant and wildly generous service to the poor. Because what Jesus is not saying when he said Mary did the right thing and you will always have the poor with you, he is not saying, you'll always have the poor with you, so don't worry about the poor. He can't be saying that. Do you know why? Because Jesus came preaching good news to the poor. Jesus came, and he didn't have a bed to lay in. He didn't have a roof over his head. He didn't have a dollar to his name, but you know what he had? He and his disciples had a money bag. And you know what they did with that? They gave to the poor. That's what Jesus was stealing from. Remember what we said, Jesus is going to the cross so that he can definitively, in his death, defeat death and all the conditions that lead to poverty in our world. And one day that will come in its fullness when he returns. And in the meantime, we're his disciples, and so what should we be about? The very same things that he was about. 
And so one of the ways, friend, you can show your devotion to Jesus now is to take that money back and to give and to serve and be generous. If God's calling you to it, take the year's worth of wages of perfume and pour it out on Jesus' feet by giving to those who need it more than you do. Right, that's not a command, that's an invitation. The invitation from this passage is to express your devotion to Jesus with the same level of generosity that he has expressed his devotion to you. And you get to do it together. Let's pray. Gracious God, we ask that you would work these truths into our hearts today. The truth of who we can be as your followers, those uh, who express our devotion to you, not out of duty, but out of joy and privilege. But more importantly, Jesus, we ask that you would work this truth into our hearts today of who you are in all your power, in all your glory, in all your beauty, in all your love, not just for this congregation, but for this city and for your world. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, one question we didn't answer this morning is this. Where do we encounter Jesus now? As I mentioned, he's not bodily here with us. He's bodily at the right hand of the Father. So where do we encounter him? And the answer is uh, manifold. But Jesus tells us at the very least this. You'll encounter me in my word, and you'll encounter me at my table. And so, friends... You're invited now, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you have recognized that Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords, and if you've, if you've given your life to him in faith, believing in his gospel, then this is your meal. This is your place to come.